1: This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, and you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out.
2: What's happening, friends? Welcome to Podcast Unlocked, episode 550 for June 28th, 2022. 2022 is half over already. That is crazy to think about. But here we are. I'm Ryan McCaffrey, joined by my usual panel. Miranda Sanchez, hello.
3: Hi, hello. Welcome,
2: everyone.
4: Bella Chung, how are you? Welcome back. I'm good. I'm on medication. I'm here. Destin can't get rid of me that easily.
2: (laughs) Not. He cannot. Destin (laughs)
1: here are you no, implying i poison you either.
4: or something Destin, you tried to you actually did try to kill me though like one time i was in a live stream i got you food one and time. he got me he got me shrimp fried rice or something like that and i am allergic to shellfish
1: so you and duggan wanted like fur or something but you didn't want to so let yeah. say welcome to podcast unlocked
2: confessions edition So. <laughs> It's unlocked after dark here on IGN. Time be nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are actually we are living in uh, a little bit of a bizarro world because we'll just jump right in. It's it's one week and it's it's a drop in the bucket of the grand scheme of things. But as you've probably gathered from the headline and the thumbnail, if you're watching us on video this week, there was something happened this week that has almost never happened. And I thought we would start there. We do have plenty to talk about, not just this, but uh, Xbox is outselling the PlayStation five in Japan. Yes. Don't just don't shake out your ear. You, you, there's, it's, there's nothing, nothing clogging it up. You did hear that correctly. Xbox is outselling PS five in Japan for the past, for the past uh, <laughs> a week. So Sony is being hit super hard by supply issues and Xbox, not as much. So the, this comes via Famitsu, who says that the Xbox Series console family sold just under seven, uh, or sixty-seven hundred units, six thousand six hundred ninety-five units during uh, what the last reporting period, which is two weeks ago, June thirteenth to the nineteenth. And in that same window, PlayStation Five sold less than half of that, three thousand and thirty-five. While Sony remains far ahead of Xbox in terms of overall Japanese console sales. This marks the second time in this generation that weekly sales have been significantly in Microsoft's favor. So uh, yeah, if you're curious as to the split, well, because since there are two Xbox Series consoles, both the Series S and the Series X outsold the PS5 for that week. It was almost, and then the split between the two of them was almost 50-50. Uh, but both of them individually also beat that 3,035 PS five number so um, obviously this has a lot more to do with Sony having a much harder time on the supply side than Xbox is having. Which, to be clear, you know Microsoft deserves a ton of credit for seemingly doing a better job of managing the supply chain issues than Sony's doing, uh, and just getting more consoles out to customers who want them. But the PS five still way ahead overall. If you're curious, there the. Uh, Numbers are 1.69 million PS5s thus far versus 232,000 Xbox Series uh, consoles. And then just to set the ultimate level of context for this to round out the the full story, the Nintendo Switch, albeit with a three-year head start on the two next-gen consoles, the Switch has 24.7 million versus... 1.69 1.69 million PS5s and 232,000 series consoles. Uh, Miranda, your reaction first to just, you know, again, we have the context, we know it's, a, it's just one little window here, but it's still, it is still notable for Xbox anyway.
3: Yeah, it's a nice little, oh, cool. You know, Xbox <laughs> is getting a little time in the spotlight. I, I, the reason I say it like that is because like, I remember when I went to Japan um, several times for TGS and doing stuff for work, uh, and every time I go to the game stores to go look at the Japanese uh, video game guides, and I always watch walk by the Xbox section, and it's always so small. And I'm like, oh hey, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it just makes sense, you know. Any sort of progress is good progress, and I know Xbox is really trying hard to make sure that they, I think, have different kinds of games that maybe also appeal more to the Japanese audience. But the numbers with the Nintendo Switch just make so much sense. I mean, with Japan, if you've never been, it is. Very much focused on uh, portability. So as far as like mobile games and other things like that, those just make sense. Like a lot of commuting happens on trains. You have an excellent subway system. Like it's incredible. Like any any train system you go, any railway system, it's just a delight to take. So because that there is so much public transportation, you have a lot more time to, you know, just sit on a train and play games. And you're not going to bring your Xbox Series X on the train, but you can bring your Nintendo Switch so there's just a lot of reasons there that it makes sense, and I think, of course, the same thing with uh, PlayStation that's trailing behind as well. But we also know it's because of supply chain issue.
2: Yeah, mo- mobile games are huge there too, right, Miranda? Yeah. Is that, I mean, not that they're not big everywhere, but it's it really is a a you know mobile gaming, whether it's in on a Switch or on a phone, is uh is is a is like a. Just a very common place there, correct?
3: It's a thing, yeah. I mean, just because, like I said, um, I I think whenever I moved, especially out here to San Francisco, and I just wasn't driving because I could just take public transportation, you suddenly have so much more time to do something that's not getting yourself somewhere because you're just like passively waiting to get there. And so with that, you can take more time to play games or read books or whatever it may be. And in that case, with Japan, having more of a focus on that public transportation rather than driving, you get more time to do mobile gaming, so.
2: Well it seems like from that alone welcome to Nintendo voice chat the, the <laughs> next the next switch it, Nintendo's not going to move away from this hybrid home and portable format anytime soon I would imagine right
3: I don't think there's so there's no
2: way yeah there no which, reason it, to. which is fine yeah it's, give us the super switch and uh we'll be happy Stella your thoughts on on this little little small victory for Xbox in a in a country that has for 20 years just <laughs> evaded any, any amount of success for Xbox.
4: Uh, Yeah, I think Miranda brought up a good point about there being so many different games now on the Xbox. So for a while, uh, when I was in high school, I remember the Xbox being synonymous with like FPS games, really high competitive games and Xbox has come so much further than that now, and especially with Game Pass, with so many games being available, so many different things being available. And with the Xbox Series S, which is more portable and is smaller and takes up less space in your home, especially since some of these homes in Asia are a little bit smaller. People are living in smaller apartments. I used to live in one in Korea. Um, It kind of just makes sense, and I'm not too surprised. Also, with the availability stuff, totally makes sense. You just want to play video games, so why not get the Xbox Series S, which is slightly cheaper? So. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it just makes sense.
2: You know, you 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 remind me of a good point, Stella, or, or, or a notable thing. And we've always we've heard that a lot about that part of the reason that Xbox has historically struggled, and it is a part, not not the whole picture, but yeah. part of the reason for Xbox's struggles in Japan over the years has been that uh the the form factor that you know you you pointed out the smaller dwellings typically in Japan and Asia. Well, the, the PS5 is ginormous. <laughs> it's like, so I wonder if that has like, if, if that has anything to do, I mean, it, I'm sure it's 98% supply chain, but I wonder if there is any resistance to the PS5, just because it is such a, just like a hulking tower of, of, yeah. of console back there. That's even bigger than the, it's bigger and much. heavier than the, than the Xbox Series X <laughs> and certainly bigger than the Xbox Series S.
4: Yeah, and it doesn't feel right to lay it on its side. I know you can, but it doesn't feel right to do that either. You're just like, no, it was designed to stand up. So with you. yeah, <laughs> can't even. I feel land the same way
2: settings? about the. I, see, I feel the same way about the Series X. Like I don't know anyone <laughs> that lays it on its side. You, yeah. Paris? Does anybody does. know anybody that? Oh no, Paris. Paris Lily does. Miranda, wait. That we can't see it in the shot. It's, oh no, no, It's, still, well, it's still yeah, yeah. there.
3: Yeah. That's my my Halo Series yeah. X. Sorry, I'm just like leaning all weirdly, but yeah, <laughs> I just it have it behind me. Yeah, was standing.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Stands tall. Nobody lays it down. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> Destin, your reaction to this small but but notable victory for Xbox in Japan?
1: Well, there's a lot to dive into here, actually. Yeah. Because the, the Xbox Series X and S family of consoles has already outsold the entirety of the lifetime of the Xbox One console yes. in all of its iterations in Japan. So we're already at like 100,000 units past that number.
2: A year and, and a half in versus what was it seven or eight years for the eight years for the uh for the for the xbox one
1: yeah and the lifetime for the 360 according to wikipedia as of february 26 2014 had sold 1.6 million units so i do think it is notable that we're already in the 200,000 plus unit number now of course the playstation 5 is selling much better i believe just looking at the famitsu numbers it's around 1.6 million or 1.7 million total versus 200 and say 30,000 units for the Xbox. But the fact that Xbox is actually moving units in Japan, I think is really, really interesting. And it means that Xbox has struck a nerve in this territory for the first time in a very, very long time in a positive way. They have a Japanese uh, Xbox Wire, for example, a Japanese focused uh, translation for a lot of these games. And I think they are seeing the return on that investment in resources. There's also the separate conversation to be had about the semiconductor issue, Ryan. Yeah. We know that uh, Xbox potentially paid to get some advanced uh, access to those semiconductors to produce more units, and that could also be paying off as part of the strategy. But Sony has committed and said that they are going to be working towards producing more PlayStation 5s in the near future, with DigiTimes reporting that that should be clearing up later this year. And Sony doubling down and saying we're working as hard as we possibly can to throw all resources at this issue because they want to move PlayStation 5s. They want it to sell better than the PlayStation 4. And Nintendo doesn't really have to do anything because they've sold 27 million units and they just absolutely dwarf either of either of the sales figures for Xbox or, or Sony, you know? Yes, on the, on the, oh go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah the, the last thing off. I wanted to comment on was the size issue. I think the Series S was just a really, really smart option for Xbox. And I said it the first I heard about that. I'm like, this is very smart. Most people, I'd say 90% of consumers do not care about 4K, 120 Hertz, all that stuff, right? That, that, you know, I care about and a lot of consumers care about, but 90% of people that are going to Costco when they see that Series S sitting on the, on the shelf or wherever you go in Japan, where the consoles are sitting. (laughs) um they they just see that price point and they're like next gen gaming at that price with game pass i'll take it yeah i'm sure if we went
2: back and pulled the old tape i'm i was probably against the series s in the beginning (laughs) i'm sure microsoft has proven me extraordinarily wrong that's it really has paid off for them it's turned into a, a brilliant strategy that that i expect they'll probably continue in future xbox generations this this uh you know this this High market, mid to lower end market within a, a console family. That strategy is probably here to stay. And and uh you know, Destin, what you, you were talking about it made me think of like, isn't it crazy? This is for everybody to just chime in. Isn't it crazy how how the how quickly the winds can change from console generation to console generation? Like you look at the Xbox, just since the Xbox entered, it was this just giant literal pc in a box uh that did nothing in japan and, but but it starts to get a reputation as as i think uh miranda noted about as as this fps box and it well-earned reputation but then the 360 comes along and they they manage to beat sony to market plus and and the ps3 manages to kind of make some wrong decisions like the whole 599 us dollars thing Launch, and then yeah. the next generation, Microsoft just steps on all the rakes in the room uh, over and over again, whereas Sony makes all the right moves. And now you think, OK, well, we've seen everything now. There's nothing we haven't seen in this business. And this current generation begins. And what do we see but something we've never seen before in the in the form of a global chip shortage that has materially impacted what Sony's able to do and certainly what, what Microsoft's able to do. And, and it's been, uh, in a, in a dark and, and unfortunate way, but it's, it's been an opportunity for Microsoft to, to gain back some market share just by virtue of managing this (laughs) chips crisis, arguably better than Sony has. So yeah, I, I kind of just throw it out. Like it's, there's, there's a book to be written about, about this generation of consoles specifically from, if you could talk to all the right people inside of both companies. <laughs> this week's podcast unlocked is brought to you by Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. We're all busy, right? We've all got a lot going on. Cooking can take a while, but you want to get a good quality meal. Factor is awesome. Check them out. They have fresh, never frozen meals that are all chef crafted, dietitian improved. And get this this is the best part ready to go in just two minutes. They send you everything, different stuff every week. You throw it in the microwave, two minutes, boom, you're done. You've got a good meal. I have tried these. They taste good. It is good stuff. Over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus options, and keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons if you need to help stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started right away. They've got everything from pancakes smoothies more you know breakfast not just dinner and lunch it's breakfast as well no prep no mess they are ready to heat and eat flexible for your schedule factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required that is the best part and i know from having tried this for myself boy it just saves a ton of time so sign up and save factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and also tastes real good as well. If you're interested, head on over to FactorMeals.com/Unlocked50 and use the code Unlocked50 to get 50% off. That's code Unlocked50 at FactorMeals.com/Unlocked50 to get 50% off.
5: During Women's History Month, come explore what feminism means to you with nonfiction storytelling podcast, Thread the Needle. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I, I think Sony started this, this console generation very um, uh, sure that they would be the market leader, right? And then when chip shortages happened they had to change their tune on a lot of things uh more, yeah, and more by start going- by re, re kind of doubling down on ps4 uh production right that was one yeah. of the things yeah so they extended ps4 production which they i believe they were going to uh, end a little bit earlier but they said no we're going to continue making that uh they're releasing more and more of their titles on pc which has been a large revenue driver for them They revamped the PlayStation Now, PlayStation Plus package. And uh, based on what I've seen of the new PlayStation, PlayStation Plus changes, I think it's a very, very positive and smart change on their part. It's still not where Game Pass is, but they looked at what Game Pass and Xbox was doing with having titles on PC. They took their own angle with it, and it's been very beneficial to them and beneficial to gamers everywhere. Getting to play Spider-Man on PC is going to be awesome, you know, in the coming months. And I just think it's really, really cool that more and more of these titles that were formerly locked to PlayStation Five uh, has, have now gone everywhere the way that Xbox has done it. It makes me really happy to see, actually. And Jim Ryan has pointed out that he he is very disappointed that s- these amazing experiences on PlayStation are locked to PS Five and they aren't be- aren't able to be experienced by more people. They're limiting. Scope so right,
2: because Sony has traditionally just been in their primary interest has been selling consoles. There yeah. whereas Microsoft has has now opened it up and taken more of a PC like approach and said just wherever you are gaming, we want you in our ecosystem. And you, we've mm-hmm. we've seen the the results of that start to pay off already.
1: It makes me so happy. I think that uh, the competition between Xbox and PlayStation, especially this generation, has forced Xbox to do some. New innovative things, and Sony's taken note. They're like, "Hey, that's working really well. We need to offer our consumers something better." And that's why I love it when these two companies uh, have to pivot and have to make changes because the consumer ends at the and wins at the end of the day when that happens.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that I I think it's fair to say that both that both companies have have uh, f- made each other better, and by extension, that bet it's better for us because you know you're right that sony would sony have gone to pc uh and would they have would they have revamped playstation plus without the stuff that microsoft's been doing like you could make the case that maybe they'd have gotten there on the pc side eventually when they realized how much money they were leaving on the table but i'm not sure that playstation plus would have been uh materially improved the way it has and you're right that on on the xbox side you know microsoft has had to had to find a way to compete on exclusive games and microsoft's gone out and, and bought all these studios to strengthen their platform so yeah like it's more you're right Destin. and it's more fun when they're both good and they're both pushing each other because last yeah. generation was only fun if you were a a playstation fanboy really like it there there was you know the xbox was was uh, for was having a hard time for the generation. More yeah,
1: resolution, it, fewer yeah. games, and it just was like, just a
2: rough but, go. Yeah. And it was yeah. just so. I mean, what what did the, the PS4 outsold the Xbox One by like? I think it was four, three, or four to one. It was a lot. So and yeah, it's it allowed now.
1: Yeah, it allowed Sony to build a tremendously talented group of studios. I do feel like I'm talking a lot. So Miranda or Estelle, if you want to jump in, feel. Oh, with you,
4: but I feel like I'm learning just from listening to you. Talk, I'm, I'm just. Letting it flow, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it. Rest, Rest
0: yeah. in peace, I Connect. Work. That's all I yeah. gotta oh. say. Yeah. I like the Connect.
2: You know, yeah. connect, it's not connect. talking about the Connect. kind of live on in uh, in the form of Face ID. That's like, oh. not not literally, but like it's the Connect that works is the one in your iPhone. OK, um, so
4: so as someone who loved playing Just Dance and actually competed in the esports for Just Dance, I am so mad that they got rid of the Kinect. That was the most accurate, mo- like body tracking. And there could have been so, so much more. Great there could have been so much more tech like actually done. There could have been so many cool games actually released for that, but it, it just didn't really work out. So <laughs> they kind of just got rid of it, which I was very sad to see, which is why I still have my Xbox one. And every time I play a Just Dance game, I have I played on that. So I'm just sad, but I'm not ready to let it go. <laughs>
2: I can neither uh, uh, go ahead, Destin.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, I was just thinking about the the sales numbers we're discussing. So this is the <laughs> second time Famitsu has reported Xbox outselling PlayStation. So in a week, uh, yeah, in a, in a, on a weekly. Basis. Well, no, in May, I believe in the last one was May. The last article that I have up here was from, well, that's June 23rd and the other one was from May. <sighs> it must've been the week prior, right? Yeah. Yeah. May 19th. So that's, just interesting. Hopefully Sony can figure out whatever's going on there.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh Stella, there may or may not, I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of uh a, of a video on YouTube of a bunch of the old official Xbox magazine crew at one of our houses uh that that I appear in playing dancing to dance central. I can <gasps> neither confirm nor deny oh my
4: God. that I need exists. That. <laughs> um, I need that.
2: I in fact you're reminding me like I had one particular song that I like, loved the dance for. And now I'm going to yeah. have to go look it up because I can't remember it off the top of my head. But yeah, that was Harmonix. Harmonix knows what to do when it comes to the music games. But Stella, you said something else uh, that, that I want to just double back on before we move on to the next news item. Yeah. And I think it was a really excellent point, And that is that Game Pass has been a really vital part of the, the newfound appeal of Xbox. In Japan, because as you guys remember, Microsoft, they they've made a concerted effort specifically in Japan before. And even though we got some great games out of it, it never moved the needle. You'll remember that kind of early ish time in the 360 life cycle where they signed Mistwalker. We got Blue Dragon. We got Lost Odyssey. We got Eternal Sonata. Um I think there were one or two other excellent JRPGs that were exclusive to the 360 that that really just never never got it done but but Stella you're right it's I think it's and not that even Microsoft's making a specific effort to target Japanese gamers they've just been making an effort to appeal to all gamers to have something yeah. for everybody with Game Pass.
4: Yeah it's been really nice. Um I mean obviously with PC also being included in Game Pass, it's great, but I mean, just having it on a console, I know console is just a lot easier, especially for families to get a hold of uh, and also be able to share and play games together with. And Game Pass has a lot of stuff that you can actually do couch co-op with. uh, And it's not just FPS and competitive stuff anymore. It's all these different uh, curated playlists that you can try for free as long as you have the subscription, which is great. And all you need is a device and Again, the Series S, why not?
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So congrats to Microsoft on a, on a small but notable victory. Uh, we'll see how it continues. Because, you know, it's not that I expect Microsoft to suddenly overtake Sony for second place in Japan, but, you know, it's, it's uh, the more ground it can gain, the, the better off, you know, I think it'll be for everybody in the sense that just, it's more fun when there are three Healthy competitors in in every market, whereas you know there are certain markets where Microsoft just hasn't been a factor at all. And Japan's been the most notable of those.
1: Let's let's now, be honest. Nintendo's yeah. doing whatever they want. Nintendo well, doesn't care exactly. about care so and, much right. about and,
2: uh, well. These two. And when it,
1: it sometimes
2: it doesn't work, like the Wii U, you know it's yeah. So it's 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 for better and for worse that Nintendo marches to the beat of their own drum. Currently, it's working real well with the Switch. They've definitely hit on a great thing. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, Nintendo, you're right. We'll, we'll always, for better or for worse, uh, march to their own beat. And that's, I I applaud them for that. Even, even in the times it doesn't work. Next up this week, Halo, the Master Chief Collection, uh, may be getting microtransactions eight years after it released. Yeah, we're coming up on the eighth anniversary of this collection already. It came out in fall of 2014. 343 has revealed that it's currently exploring adding microtransactions to Master Chief Collection, allowing players to purchase Spartan Points, which are currently called Season Points, to unlock gear and customizations they may have missed. Quote, For players who are new to the Master Chief Collection or who may not have dedicated much time specifically to unlocking items during seasonal updates or are simply completionists looking to catch the last outstanding items they need, We are internally exploring a potential new feature for the future in the form of purchasable Spartan points, said 343 in a blog post. We are happy with the current system of how players earn Spartan points by completing challenges and leveling up through play. This would be an optional additive alternative for players who might find the vast scope of content to be an intimidating amount of playtime and want to get ahead on or skip the grind or maybe want to grab specific items they want, because we all have our favorites, end quote.
1: Uh, Your thoughts on this? So, I'll go your way first. Don't buy this. Don't support this. Stop saying microtransactions are okay, because look at what Diablo Immortal just did. That's where we're headed if we keep saying, oh, yeah, microtransactions are totally fine. I am very upset that they have decided to go this route, even though it is optional. You know people are going to buy it, and you know what game's coming next? Halo Infinite. They're going to test this with the Master Chief Collection, and then a few years down the line, they're going to see if it works for Halo Infinite and allow you to buy levels in the Battle Pass or something like that. I don't like this. I think it's been a slippery slope for years. Let me just finish my point. Sorry, Miranda. (laughs) I think it's been a slippery slope for years in terms of microtransactions. And Diablo Immortal is like the pinnacle of where we're going to end up if we keep just being chill about this. stuff. It needs to be handled better. Miranda, go ahead.
3: But you can already buy things in Halo Infinite.
1: You can can buy buy these skins for $10. And I also don't think you should purchase that. I I don't think we should be supporting my cat ears. (laughs)
3: Let me have my cat ears.
1: How how much were your cat ears?
3: I don't remember, but I enjoy them.
1: (laughs) That's it.
3: (laughs) I don't know. I I agree that there, there has to be a balanced microtransactions. The thing is that you come after free to play games, which their model is entirely built on microtransactions they need you to give them money so that they can keep making their game so they want to give they want the money through cute things or cool things or flashy things whatever that's going to be and usually they're cosmetic and that's what they should stick to that's the problem right is that we want these things to be through uh cosmetic optional extra fun fluffy stuff and not through anything that will actually impact gameplay that's when it becomes the problem especially for any game that has a competitive aspect Um, Some other games do this in a different way. So for instance, with Genshin Impact, which I play like a shit ton of, uh, they are all free to play. But the way that you get or they get money from their players is by offering characters, but it's on a chance based system. So you're not guaranteed a new character unless you invest a certain amount and you can get that currency uh, by playing the game, by completing certain event quests. But it's it's a, a kind of up to chance there is a very defined system though for when you do unlock those characters but you know there's a good chance that if you want if you for sure want this character and you have not been saving or like optimizing how you get that premium currency then like you might have to put in money and i know a lot of people don't put in any money at all and have like a really great team and you can enjoy games without that and i think that's the idea right If we have these free to play games that do ask for money I want the like base system to be enjoyable without having to invest anything. Like, There's a balance that needs to be striked. And I think, honestly, I think free-to-play games are a good option for a lot of folks to get access to games that they may not have gotten to otherwise. However, the biggest ask is to make sure that these systems do not become predatory and that they do not break the base gameplay, especially if there's any sort of competitive aspect. I think that's what we should ask for.
2: So Diablo Immortal is a free-to-play game. The Master Chief Collection is not. It's, mm-hmm. on, it's on Game Pass, but it is not a free-to-play game. I think there's and a game- distinction there. Stella, uh, your thoughts on this?
4: I think it's weird. <laughs> I think it's strange, uh, especially since what you said. It's been like eight years, right? Yeah. Um, It, it feels like a weird move, and I understand that. Um, I, I don't know if there are achievements for getting certain skins in the game and such, but... I think it's just a weird call. Um, I. I know that free to play games do need to have some sort of monetary service in order for them to keep operating. Uh, I feel like a lot of companies look at Fortnite and see how much money that they have been able to generate through their Battle Pass and through skins and collaborations, and they're just like, "How can we emulate that?" But sometimes it doesn't work out that well, and you have to formulate your own plan to match your game. Uh, Halo Infinite, I feel, currently has a lot more problems than just the microtransactions currently, uh, it, and the base gameplay does not feel as fun to me anymore. And I think they need to focus on that. So the fact that They are looking at bringing back something from eight years ago and putting in a monetary value in that when it's not really necessary feels a little strange to me. Um, I think that it's optional. I I know that it's optional and that's fine. um, But it it does feel a little weird that that is being looked at instead of the current state of Halo Infinite. And uh, yeah.
3: I, well, yeah, go ahead, sorry, Miranda, please. Sorry, I just wanted to say I agree. My my distinction about discussing microtransaction with free-to-play versus not was mostly geared at like Halo Infinite. Obviously, Master Chief Collection does have yeah. a base game value that you have to pay for if you don't have Game Pass. So there is a distinction there. And there are many games that do require you to pay them for them. And then also buy the characters. I'm looking at you, Overwatch. And I thought that was real <laughs> shitty. But you know what? That's just how some of these games have. It's like an entry fee. And there's a lot of different, I think, like economies and systems you can look at as far as like, do they like pay for time, pay for microtransactions, just pay for the base game? Obviously, we all have our own preferences. I think the thing is, we always just have to look out for it being predatory. Whether or not Spartan points are a good idea, though, that's a different question, or I guess a different topic. Because for me, I'm like, why are you... Like, I'm glad that they are supporting Master Chief Collection because I know people do play that online. People do still, like, jump around in the multiplayer, play the seasons. It's good to see them supporting it. However, we are all very aware that 343 has some things to work on with Halo Infinite. And I'm just like, hey, what about... I know you have to make money, but also...
1: What about co-op? What about <laughs> the Forge? Like... Well,
2: what, see, Well, this. Is, let me jump in now because this is... You're getting, you guys are getting it at where I want to go. You can do two things at
1: once. I understand that.
2: Well, it's, the thing is, you know, you, you might look at this and go, oh, well, it's been eight years. If it's a cosmetic thing, is it that big of a deal? But for me, it doesn't really matter that it's eight years old in this specific case because it is, to me, as a Halo fan, someone who cares deeply about Halo it is vitally important that the Master Chief collection be lovingly and respectfully maintained for literally as long as there is an Xbox platform because these games there are now 6 of them total in the Master Chief collection these games matter to Halo fans they they matter to people and they continue to they will continue to be relevant as as this uh sort of preserved updated uh, refurbished versions of the, the the games that kicked off the biggest franchise on the platform. So yes, it's eight years old, but I, I think it's vitally important that Master Chief Collection be continually updated, maintained, cared for for the next eight years and the next 28 years, as long as Xbox exists. So that's where you know there are new people coming into the xbox platform all the time and uh so that's where that's where i think you you can potentially you know 343 is trying to pitch this in their statement as they're kind of talking to existing players which makes sense it's if you're reading the 343 blog you already know and care about the game but uh, my ex- expectation would be that these these policies these uh what they're proposing to implement here is kind of more aimed at the next five years of new Xbox players than the previous 20 years, us, of, of Halo players. And so the I, that's where I would want to look at this is, is this fair? If I'm a new player coming in who's experiencing these Halo games for the first time because uh, I'm a new generation of gamer who wasn't around for Halo and Halo 2 and Halo 3, is this a fair system? And that... It sounds like they're trying to make it one by making it making it something you can you can still get all this stuff through play versus through paying, but it remains to be seen how it'll turn out in practice.
4: So Uh, as one of those new gamers who has not been able to experience Halo um, and has been playing through the Master Chief Collection. I have no interest in buying anything (laughs) I am interested in the story I'm interested in the core mechanics that I missed out on that everyone raves about as the classic like FPS game to play back in that era I am only concerned about the quality and the uh, gameplay and story from that so I I, again this is all optional and you can still earn everything through playing which is great Uh, that is a system that I feel is currently missing from Halo Infinite so hopefully they can transfer that over to Infinite currently because there's like even in Apex, there are some ways to even earn in-game credit that can be used to buy things from events and stuff that happen. But there's no system like that in Infinite currently. So that feels a little bit worse <laughs> currently how it's sitting. But um yeah, I, I have no interest in buying anything for the uh, Master Chief collection.
3: No. A-, a quick note is that I do... Unless I'm wrong, I thought they had said that they were looking into a system to implement like that so that you can earn premium currency, I think either through the battle pass or through other means. So I think yeah. that was something they had mentioned, but they have mentioned a lot of things. So, yeah, and
4: it's not in the system currently, which feels bad, especially with the amount of cosmetics and stuff they have. So.
2: Now Destin, you mentioned Diablo Immortal, I mean, Immortal. Uh <laughs> They uh, <laughs> no, you had it right the first time. I had it right. The, I, <laughs> yeah. it's hardly an original joke, but it's, I've seen that all <laughs> over the, the internet and and understandably so. But no, Destiny, in all seriousness, so you know, I, I, the thing about the, the, you know, the the gross microtransactions there and what I worry about, like, that's a mobile game, yes, it's on PC, but where, where I think where I totally empathize with your concern about this with Halo is that the the younger generation of gamers, my own daughter included, have grown up kind of becoming accustomed to these mobile games, these free to play games, Roblox, uh, all this kind of stuff that the kids play, where their entire reason for being is first and foremost, To keep you in there and spending money, and second priority is hopefully you have fun, and that's where I turn and instantly turn into the old man yelling at the cloud. But I think I actually, I think I'm right on this, which I guess all old men yelling into a cloud think they're right. But uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was uh, Nintendo games. Now you could you can make the same argument, by the way, that we did have a version of this, and it was called the arcades, where the games were designed to be fed quarters over and over and over again. But once, once the home console started to come into play, I would make the argument that that games became more about designed pieces of art and entertainment than about monetary uh, sinkholes. And and I feel like I worry that now that we have this new generation growing up, where they're just accepting these microtransaction practices in games like Diablo Immortal, Roblox, whatever it is, as normal. And so it's just going to normalize this. And it's just this kind of stuff is going to continue to bleed into our entire gaming industry.
1: The question seems like it has become, how can we add microtransactions as opposed to, how can we add more content and generate revenue that way? Right. So that's why I worry that it's going to be a slippery slope. And then once this one works, they're like okay that worked what else can we do that's going to further monetize yeah. the
2: How do we do this to gears Miranda maybe that's that's what happens next You
3: guys I have I have bad news it, that's just that's the reality we live in that's like the new economic structure for games like we can't forget that Video games, that's a business. Entertainment is Absolutely. a business. Like they, they want to make money and people have to eat. So it makes sense. Like I but obviously You can't eat you can't off two hundred and
1: fifty million dollars a year that Game Pass generates. Like I was about ga- to say gaming. you can't yeah. <laughs> you
3: can't equate that like the money microtransactions make go directly to like the people who actually made the game. Like that's not how it works, unfortunately. Um But I will say that there are swaths of games out there that don't have microtransactions. Yes, the bigger ones probably will look for the opportunities to have that. We've had a lot of cosmetics. Cosmetic microtransactions have been around for so, so long. Would I rather earn them for free? Absolutely. That is important. But I think it's more important to critically analyze and kind of uh, relay the issues with microtransactions where we see them and then celebrate the places where we see that as a better system. So that way, hopefully developers will keep going toward doing the better things and obviously it's not the individual developer who wants to make a kick-ass game and it's like the people above who will say hey we need to have these things in our systems so you need to figure out how this is done and you just got to hope that you have the team behind them and um upper management who stands behind their team to develop these systems in a good way that is not uh manipulative or gross like you have to just hope for that and I think we saw that with 343 when they did try to do it so that you could buy the battle pass at any time it does not expire they're really trying to advocate for a different system and I think that's what we need to look for so I know I keep talking about Genshin Impact but that is like the biggest free-to-play game I play and if you guys haven't seen that game it is it is wild it is so wild how much you get how much quality stories you get for free like you just I don't, I don't even understand, but also I know why they can do that. And that's because of how their system is set up for financially and that there are the whales out there. For if you guys don't know, um, in the free to play economy, a whale is somebody who essentially just dumps a shit ton of money into a game. Excuse me, I cursed. But it's somebody. <laughs> well, the third who
2: does, time this week. Miranda's fired up.
3: I'm sorry. Um, somebody who puts in a lot of money into a video game. And sometimes those are people who are pointed to as ruining the system because they have the the financial resources just to dump in money where a lot of other people can't sustain that. However, the way I see it, whenever I say pay for some stuff against an impact, I'm like, well, I'm paying for the free-to-play players. Like, that's fine by me because this game is incredible. But the problem does come about when we have these systems that are very predatory, that are limiting, and that generally hurt the community rather than just like make the community a little balanced. And I think that's the problem we're seeing with Diablo Immortal. I don't personally know the extent of what that is. So Dustin, if you actually wouldn't mind explaining a little bit more why those systems are seen as so bad, I think that would help for a lot of folks like me who aren't actually playing. I've only heard Uh, you know, some people say it's overblown, some people say it's not. But I do know that we've had in the past with um Star Wars where they did have like a system that impacted gameplay. And that was something that was, you know, widely critiqued. And honestly, they had to course correct to make sure that their game stopped doing that. So there are instances where we, of course, like as media and then also as players can say, hey, this system does not work for us and it is not okay. And I think what people say also speaks loudly, even if there are those people who are dumping a lot of money in.
1: Diablo Immortal at the top tiers requires basically five star gems. And the five star gem is uh, basically locked behind a loot box, for lack of a better term, where you randomly get rewarded for completing um, the riffs. So, you have to consume those materials, you run a rift, maybe you get a five star five star gem, maybe you get a, a two star. And players have spent 10,000 real dollars and they've gotten like one. So it's, it's very predatory um, and unfortunate because there was a promise made to the consumer concerning Diablo Immortal where they said that wouldn't be the case. And it turned out that is exactly what the case was. There's been a lot of pushback. You can look on Google Trends and just see how quickly Diablo Immortal dropped off. So Blizzard needs to address that. And for me, that raises concerns about design decisions that are being made about Diablo 4. Are they going to have any system like that in Diablo 4? And I think a lot of the community is really concerned about that also. Now, the reason I I use Diablo Immortal as the example, though, is because I just, I just worry about where, where we're headed design-wise, because it seems like, you said, Ryan, they want to design games where you live in those games because you're That's more right. likely to spend money. They you t- play one of them. It's Destiny. Yeah, it's Destiny. I haven't spent a cent in Destiny 2 in terms of microtransactions. Just uh, I will buy the collector's edition, yeah. which includes all the season passes. And honestly, I, I think Destiny is a pretty good example of a way to continually support a game they don't have a subscription fee. They have, uh, I think it's like $10 per season or you can get like even that at a discount if you get the, the major drops every season and it has a ton of great story. Like this season in Destiny is really, really good and you get a, a good value for your money. Uh, my, my main concern is when uh, a story is falsely extended so that they can squeeze a few more dollars out or gameplay is falsely extended like Diablo Immortal, pushing you towards the, the microtransaction system. Uh, I play through Diablo Immortal, hit level 60, and I'm, I can't remember what it's called, but I'm level one after that, playing on Hell One. And um, uh, yeah, it's just like I, ha- I have no desire to continue playing after that because I refuse to support their systems of uh, seemingly pushing you to spend money in that.
2: You know, it's funny, as, as both Miranda and Destin were, you, both of you were talking about this, the, the game that instantly popped into my head of perhaps the, the shining example of how to support a game without uh, milking players' wallets is No Man's Sky. Like, no, how many content updates? Yeah. What do they have, like 13? Or like some crazy number of substantial updates. Free. That have been free every time. And I wonder if if Hello Games had a uh, an all deciding, fully controlling corporate overlord, if it would have played out the same way. Hello Games is completely independent and they can do whatever they want. And so uh, I guess even though we've kind of pivoted this almost away from Halo in a sense, but that's okay. This is, I think, a great conversation. A larger
1: conversation.
2: Yeah, the, the the. Question I'll ask all three of you to to end this particular topic is while we're on the subject of Blizzard because Blizzard's a a Microsoft company in, a, in about uh, one year from now if if regulatory signs off uh, they they will officially be a Microsoft company in a year from now and uh, I believe it was Stella referenced Overwatch earlier um, and I was okay. going to talk about Overwatch next if we get time we'll see but. You know, Blizzard, Activision, and Blizzard—perhaps not coincidentally, given their uh, corporate executive-level reputation, shall we uh, say—is seemingly one of the more frequent and egregious offenders of predatory microtransactions. Do, in all seriousness, do you? Do the three of you think that when Microsoft takes over, will we see a an obvious? And fundamental shift in the approach to microtransactions from Activision Blizzard. Stella, I'll go your way first.
4: Oh, I feel like we're not going to see that much of a difference. I feel like Activision Blizzard has already been such a bad example of it. Like they've already been doing their own microtransactions like uh, Call of Duty. Uh, for the lo- like they have had so many different uh, blueprint guns that you could buy every time. And I, there are ways that you can earn it, but they're usually these challenges that take forever to get. So you you know, a lot of times I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'll just buy it. But that gun often runs the meta in these Call of Duty games, especially in Warzone and stuff. So it's like, well, why wouldn't I just get it so I can have my loadout, out, uh, especially if they run the meta? So that feels like while it is mostly a free to play game, it still feels like a pay to win in certain seasons when the guns are extremely overpowered uh so i don't know I, I i know that also you said we could go into overwatch at at some point but um we know that overwatch 2 is also going to be free to play and there is going to be a battle pass system
0: yeah
4: uh and it's going to feel a little bit weird and yes it's free to play which is great it is still cross play but um i i feel like the battle pass system and the uh cosmetic store isn't too much of a surprise for me just because i feel like activision blizzard has been participating in their own forms of microtransactions for years and uh i don't think that's going to necessarily change just because of microsoft so
1: destin do you agree about microsoft changing do you think
2: do you think microsoft will instill uh will, will have will alter the behavior uh on these games of of the microtransaction of principles Microsoft and, it, and processes.
1: Microsoft has largely taken a hands-off approach when they acquire studios. To, to I don't know if that's a good thing or not, apparently not based on some of the stories that we've heard, but um, I would say no because that seems to be their philosophy. I, it, I would hope personally that the answer would be yes and that they figure out ways to uh, just support these studios so they don't have to do questionable practices, right? but. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Miranda,
2: Destin makes a good point that Microsoft has typically taken a hands-off approach on their acquisitions, but we've talked at length on this podcast before that uh, when it comes to the culture of its employees and the culture of these companies, that Microsoft would be doing a, a grave disservice to the entire industry, but in particular, the thousands of employees at Activision Blizzard, if they don't, take an active hand in in actively changing the culture so do you think that uh that that change that we we want and expect from microsoft when it comes to activision blizzard will extend to the monetization practices that that company currently practices
3: i would say that is still a little up in the air um destin does make that point and you as you just said ryan they have taken a very hands-off approach. But as you also said, that there are some things they need to acknowledge and help fix. Um, and they would be doing that entire company disservice if they didn't, I would say. And also, sorry, this is a little um, I think overall, Dustin made an excellent point about saying that he was worried about what practices are going to be put into Diablo 4 with how Diablo Immortal was treated. And that's an absolutely fair concern. And so if... Microsoft gets his company, they have to, like, I guess, consider what are the other assumptions folks are going to be making about Activision Blizzard going forward? And do they have any responsibility to change that as one of their studios? So I think that's going to be a a tough thing for them to navigate. And I think, if anything, I'm really curious to see what happens, because if. They do change their stance on not being so hands off. I think this would be the case where it's for a benefit of the consumer and probably for the studios themselves rather than to just like let things remain as a status quo or how things were being run prior to being under the Microsoft banner should that happen. So that's really what it comes down to of a, if there were a case where they step in, this would be a right time for that.
2: Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, Destin, you made a, a good point there also within the that Diablo 4 mention is that Diablo 4, unless it gets pushed again, and realistically, even if it does, it's Diablo 4 is coming out with zero Microsoft influence because it'll be out before they're officially a Microsoft company. It's out in the first half of 2023. That is an Activision Blizzard game all the way. And so I think you're to Echo Miranda I think your concern for uh what we might see in the microtransaction department from Diablo 4 which again if you watched our our live showcase post showcase show I've made it explicitly clear that Diablo 4 is one of my most anticipated games not just of next year but probably of, of the last 5 years period I'm such a big Diablo fan but uh I'm going to I'm I don't know I maybe I'm <laughs> just being more overly optimistic but I really do believe that Microsoft will have a a meaningful and obvious effect on the microtransaction policies of Activision Activision Blizzard once they take over. Because Xbox is run by a guy in Phil Spencer who has continually, throughout his entire career, including the last now, uh, actually Phil recently celebrated his eighth year as head of Xbox. It was uh, March 2014 that he was named the head of Xbox. So in his 8 years, we've just con- continually seen him not just talk the talk but walk the walk on on uh not only gamer friendly, gamer first policies but developer first uh and and developer friendly cultures and 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 workplace policies. So I think I think Microsoft is going to going to change a lot of things uh, for the better at Activision and and uh I hope so. I mean there's well we won't really see the effects of it for a while because again all these games that we're talking about Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 uh, and obviously Diablo Immortal already being out. These are these are things that will that are of either finishing development or will be out by the time Microsoft takes over. So it could be some time before we really get a good idea of of what what the new Activision Blizzard looks like and whether it's the same as the old one or it if If it is meaningfully different, but I'm confident it will be. Uh, Let's stay on this for a second. In terms of Blizzard, Stella, go back to you. Overwatch Two, it is going to fully replace the original. And I know Miranda, I know you've got thoughts on this too. Uh, Overwatch Two will fully replace the original Overwatch at launch. So during a Reddit AMA, Overwatch Two director Aaron Keller confirmed that Overwatch. Two will replace the original live service when the game launches in October. He said, quote, when when Overwatch 2 launches on October 4th, it will be a replacement for the current live service. So uh, they're trying to keep all the players in one place, not fraction everything. But I want to hear this is something I think it's happened before, but it's definitely not common. It's pretty rare. Do you agree with this move, Stella?
4: Uh, I think it makes more sense than when they originally were like, oh, yeah, if you have Overwatch 1, you can totally play with people in Overwatch 2. But now that Overwatch 2 is going free to play, I mean, there's no reason to not have it. So I feel like it makes a lot of sense in that way. I do think that it is a little weird that they are calling it Overwatch 2 instead of just having it be, I don't know, Overwatch revamped or something, uh, which, you know, games have done like No Man's Sky. They didn't do No Man's Sky 2, right? So uh, for me, that that's the only part that's a little bit weird. Um, Again, I'm very glad that people are going to be able to play crossplay with people on any platform, which is great. Um, it is free to play. So a lot more people are going to have access to this game, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think this makes more sense than the original plan, which was to have two games out and kind of be giving support to both. So,
2: by the way, as as uh, IGN's resident FPS expert, what is your current hype level for Overwatch 2?
4: <laughs> OK, um, let's see. I well, that's I that's not a great
2: sign if you're already, <laughs> like <laughs> okay else? here's the
4: thing. So I okay, so I feel that from everything that I so I got to talk to Aaron Keller, right? I did the interview for a summer of gaming segments. Um I I do love that they are conscious of the mistakes that they made in Overwatch 2, or so it seems. Uh they've answered every question that I've had about it, about um uh, maintaining that uh community aspect and being able to uh maintain um, what is it called? proper output of content because overwatch suffered from a major lack of content for so long so many people dropped off from it a lot of the character reskins and stuff were just lackluster it does look like with this uh custom new customization system which like there's a new skin that's above legendary uh that's more customizable and stuff it does look promising and they've actually released a roadmap which is great so i am tentatively optimistic um i fell off of Overwatch. of a long time ago because of the lack of content and because of the lack of support it seemed to have. So with them launching Overwatch 2, it seems like they are taking the proper steps in repairing that relationship with the community that has been missing for so long. But I'm still like, well, this is still the same these are still the same devs that managed to make Overwatch less playable and uh, less fun because of the lack of content and updates. So we'll see. I mean it feels like Currently, it feels like the launch of Overwatch 1, which is great. Their interest is high, but can they maintain that? So
2: Miranda, let me go to you now for a not only an Overwatch 2 hype check for you personally, but your thoughts on on Overwatch 2 being uh, not a file save as Overwatch 2.exe, but just a file save and overwriting the whole thing.
3: (laughs) if i'm going back to a free-to-play first-person shooter i'm going back to apex legends and not overwatch <laughs> <laughs> but, like if i have the time somehow that's where i'm going that's where i want to spend my time um overwatch is fine like i know people who really love it for a lot of reasons and i understand those but it wasn't really for me i've never really been a big fan of blizzard games and this one was just like yeah dabbled. It's fine um, I will say that with this change from Overwatch to Overwatch 2, I think there is a concern initially. It's like, okay, but what about everyone who paid for Overwatch and like spent money here already? Like, what do you get if this is just rolling into the same thing? There is a Founder's Pack with a really ugly Sombra skin, and I'm so sorry for whoever designed it, but why would you make Sombra a jester? And why would you include that in your Founder's Pack? There's nothing celebratory about this. It just makes... I mean, it's a, it's a jester you're literally calling them clowns what are you saying here okay um that that's just kind of me being goofy but also uh it's it's a little weird the other epic sim is a general doomfest which is which is fine um you get an icon and some other stuff but i'm glad that there is some benefit to oh you've been you've been sticking around with us so please have this founders pack like you get like a special icon to say oh i was here first kind of thing cool but overall yeah, but as everyone has already said, it just makes sense that these are getting rolled into the same thing. It'd be silly for them to be split, but also, uh, I don't know, like maybe make these skins a little bit more celebratory or something fun. So,
2: it's just a little in, weird. in what is currently a fairly light fall uh, in terms of big AAA games, you are you are uh, not keen to jump jump into Overwatch. It sounds like.
3: Oh no. No, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know. Like October has a lot of stuff coming out. There is a lot actually. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's quite a bit coming out this fall, except for in November. There's literally two games, but one of those games will take up my entire November. So it's fine. <laughs> it's Pokemon. Pokemon.
2: Destin. Um, uh, yeah. How about you on, on uh, your thoughts on, on Overwatch 2, on their decision to just kind of effectively overwrite Overwatch, run, Overwatch 1?
1: Doesn't need to be called Overwatch 2. It makes no sense. <laughs> it makes less and less sense the more announcements that come out about this game. It's just, it's ridiculous.
2: Did Destiny 2
1: do the same thing with like folding in Destiny 1 content or was that just like some of the raids? Uh, Destiny 2 has added a lot of the stuff from Destiny 1, but the engines are significantly different. Like, Can you still play Destiny 1? Is that a, f- yeah, a viable still thing? Online. That- yeah, okay. All right. So they did a full complete game with uh, all the finalized content
2: is that I was trying to think before we came on this episode if this has ever happened before where like a major sequel has just like completely consumed just eaten its original game uh and Left for Dead came to mind um even though mm-hmm. I don't I think Left for Dead 1 technically still exists but but Valve did port all of Left for Dead 1 into Left for Dead 2 and make it available there so there is effectively no reason to ever go back to Left 4 Dead One. I I can't think of another example other than that one. That was the only one that came to mind.
3: Yeah, I can't think of anything. I've only th- I can only think of like reboots. So, yeah. for instance, yeah. Final Fantasy fourteen that got like a big old
2: that's a good one meteor
3: crash. But they didn't make a new game out of it. They right. just said that's right. We're we're here still. It's just different now.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's better now. Things are better. Yeah. Yeah. And th- and it worked. It's totally it was totally way better. um Everyone all right. <laughs> Xbox games with gold for the first half or for for all of July, I should say, not just the first half. So we have something I confess I've not heard of, Beasts of Maravia Island, Beasts of Maravia Island. That is going to be available all month long. Uh Relicta, there's a n- Relicta, <laughs> another game I haven't heard of. Starts in the middle of the month and runs through the first half of August and then two games i have heard of thrillville off the rails uh, for you theme park fans that's going to be the first half of july and pr- and probably the at least i don't want to necessarily say the best one in this list cuz it's the one but it's the one i know best and i know it's good the original torchlight uh, is available from the 16th to the 31st of july there so uh, if you're still you still got your gold account and any of those four games appeal to you Be sure to download them in their uh, respective windows while they are free. Next story this week, DICE, uh, Battlefield 2042's developer, says they have no plans to make non-Battlefield games anytime soon. As DICE continues to work through Battlefield 2042's troubles, DICE's VP, Rebecca Kutaz, says game uh, told, told GameIndustry.biz that any projects not related to Battlefield are totally on the back burner. Quote, we are only focusing on Battlefield 2042, she said. There is no time for anything else, and this is what we want to do. In three years, we want to be the first-person shooter powerhouse that DICE deserves to be, and that is what we are going for. Uh, Stella, I'll go back your way again. You did our Battlefield 2042 review. (laughs) I did. Uh, I think, like me, you are also a Mirror's Edge fan. Yes. Yeah,
4: that's what what we. Yeah, as soon as you said this, I (laughs) looked and I was like, no, because Mirror's Edge 2 was such a great revamp of the original. Um, But man, it, it makes me really sad because I feel like that sort of a game would be really good for EA right now. Um, oh, yes. Battlefield 2042 recently had a major update, um, and they are going to have a battle pass system and everything, which is great for them. I mean, I think that it's 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 interesting. Uh, people that I've talked to, they always say, well, to be fair, Battlefield games always get better over time after release. And I'm like, you know, that's great. But what about all these other games that do need some attention? I mean, Battlefield is probably uh, EA's one of their biggest games right but i'm like no doubt what about mirrors edge 3 what about other games that people uh might be looking into i mean there are so many other games that they could be focusing on as well uh but i mean i guess maybe they just want to make sure that battlefield 2042 is in a good place um before they move on but it's it's interesting because their roadmap that they released uh with their update um information it goes into i think fall so um, some of the updates won't even be applied till like October or something like
3: that.
2: Destin, your thoughts on DICE completely singling down on, uh, on Battlefield, not anything they have cooking is not happening That's, if it doesn't have the Battlefield name on it.
1: Take a break. Battlefield 2042 launched in a terrible state. Um, if you're going to focus on Battlefield, make sure the next one doesn't launch like 2042 did. I don't know what's going on over there. I think 2042... Uh, looks really pretty, but the community largely pandered the game. So you're not hitting the right beats with Battlefield. Battlefield has actually gone free to play, I believe, was the most recent story. So uh, I know they
2: they if- dropped their 128 player mode, right? And so they <laughs> like, they like actually got rid of a game mode.
1: Yeah, if you're going to double down on this franchise, take the time that it needs to launch in a in a competent state, because you're not doing yourself any favors by launching the way Battlefield 2042 did. And if you continue to do that, as the I believe the last two battlefields have been pandered, you're just going to do reputable damage to the franchise.
2: Miranda, I know you've uh, you like to play certain shooter franchises with your dad. Is your dad a battlefield guy
3: or my, my dad is actually a huge battlefield guy? Ah, I think he I still plays.
2: Yeah.
3: Does he I think he still plays Battlefield 4. <laughs> Is that even still mine? I don't remember which <laughs> one he plays. He does not play twenty forty two. He just looked at. He said five. I think five is still no. alive. Yeah. Okay. It's either four or five. Which I was like, I think he still plays five, but I remember he played the heck out of four so much. Um, but yeah, it's probably five, which makes most sense. That was twenty eighteen. Um, yeah. That's that's all I know about it. Thanks, Dad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that, and of course, like the general consensus that twenty forty two did not yeah. launch in a very good state. Like I know some things about it, of course, but. Um, beyond that, I just know that the community that does really like Battlefield, which includes my dad, is they don't, they don't want it yet. So um, honestly, I think it makes sense that it's like, oh, everything else is on the back burner so they can focus on improving Battlefield 2042 is probably what I'd want to hear if I cared about Battlefield, but. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah, and well, I can't help but think of the the team there a bit in the sense of, you know, we've heard this thrown around about a couple of, well, a few Xbox developers. You know, we hear, Oh well, you know, how what's it like working on 343 if you just know you're working on Halo in perpetuity for the rest of your life as long as you work there and the coalition with Gears and Turn 10 with Forza. It's like here we Dice is straight up saying, at least Dice, the main Dice in Sweden is saying, we're not going to be making anything else. So I it's if if you're a developer there, I guess you've got to really care i mean of course you really care anyway but but yeah it's that would be a little strange to me as a developer just knowing that as soon as you finish one battlefield project you're just going to roll right into the next one well um like at least go ahead sorry
3: Miranda. there was a clarification that it was just battlefield 2042 not necessarily that they won't do anything else right
2: true 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 but um i don't know i just i'm not i'm not optimistic that we would ever get mirror's edge three as much Mm -hmm. as i i hate to make stella sad by saying that and but it's the catalyst i don't think did that well and we were that was like a miracle that we got that game um i wasn't quite as high on it as you stella i i think the first one is a billion times better than i had some some problems with the second one but i was still glad it got made but yeah i just i hope that uh at some point dice is able to you know, do something that isn't a, a battlefield game even at all. Like just do another project because they are clearly a talented team, both in the technological sense and in the gameplay sense. Uh, the good news, we do know, like if, like for me, I want single player games uh, and single player first person shooters. We do know that Marcus Leto's new studio in Seattle that he set up with EA, they're making a single player battlefield game. So. Maybe that's a bad company three. Maybe that's just a, a totally new thing, but we are going to get something on the single player side from battlefield. Even if dice Sweden is, is understandably busy just trying to continue to do, you know, foundational upgrade work on, on getting uh, 2042 into a good place. Uh, Next this week. Yes, there's more. It's a busy week here. Tony Hawk himself has confirmed that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3 and 4 remake was planned to follow in the wake of the 2020 Tony Hawk Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. But the project died following Activision's decision to officially merge the developer of the project, Vicarious Visions, into Blizzard. So Tony himself... Uh, talked about this on a Twitch live stream with Andy Gentile, who is a former Neversoft designer who also served as the senior designer on the 1 and 2 remake. And Tony said, that was the plan. Even up to the release of 1 and 2, we were going 3 and 4. And then Vicarious got kind of absorbed, and then they were looking for other developers, and then it was over. According to Hawk, the project went no further. Quote, the truth of it is that Activision were trying to find somebody to do three and four, but they just really didn't trust anyone the way they did with Vicarious. So they took other pitches from other studios. Uh, Like, what would you do with the Tony Hawk uh, Pro Skater title? And they didn't like anything they heard. And then that was it. Uh, He says, I wish there was some way to bring it back. I mean, who knows? Maybe when all the dust settles, we'll figure it out. You never know. I would have never imagined that we were going to do one and two 20 years later. Uh, Destin, your thoughts on this one?
1: Uh, I like Tony Hawk. Um, I wonder how well those remakes ended up selling, though. because is, is there They were very critically mass- acclaimed. They reviewed very well. Yeah, but is there still a massive audience for Tony Hawk games? I know a lot of people out there reacted to this saying, I would love to play Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3 and 4. But if the economics don't make sense, maybe it's just like not the right time. Especially if if Activision or whoever is just saying, we didn't really like any of the ideas that we heard. Then do you really want a bad Tony Hawk? Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't.
2: Stella or Miranda, any uh, any fond memories or, or thoughts on Tony Hawk, wanting it to come back or, or letting it <laughs> just letting it be?
4: Uh, I was never into the games. I watched my friends play it and they loved it, but I was never in that community. Um, I didn't really feel an interest in it, but I know that these games are a classic for a lot of people. But I don't know if that being a classic and uh, that I don't know if that audience is still alive for these games right now. So.
3: I'll hey. Oh, go ahead, Miranda. Okay. Please. I'm uh, not that say, old. I'm still alive. <laughs> I'm still breathing. I guess. Um, I played so much of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 3, and I loved it very much as a kid. But I could see these probably just making the wave back again at some point, even if it's not now. I think they'll come back again. People love these the series, and I think uh, there's that big bubble about Skate coming back as well. So mm-hmm. I think we're just gonna, you know, probably see it eventually.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm with opinion. you on this, Miranda. Cause <laughs> I I think when when Microsoft takes control of Activision in a year from now, I would not be surprised if they take another look at this. Not even if it's not within with an Activision Blizzard studio. They might they might look at one of their other teams and say, hey, does you know who might be a good fit for this? Because again, the the one and two remake was very well received. And even if they don't want to just do a remake like a, a totally new game could still work. You mentioned the new skate game that's, I guess, probably still early in development at EA because it was only, you know, announced in the weirdest of ways two years ago, a long time ago, I over a year for sure. Years, yeah. It's been a while. A um, but maybe like, you know, you look at kind of the way games are now, if like, and Microsoft's looking for game pass content. You know, what if they make a, a totally new Tony Hawk game? They find the right developer for it that is like a, you know, design your own park, design your own level. And it's more of a social like multiplayer thing that could just kind of live on month after month after month with with a lot of user generated content and, you know, be something that fed into the Game Pass subscription. So Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I I think it'll come back Mm -hmm. and I hope it does. All right. We are nearly done with this. Week's episode of ride the L- of uh, podcast unlocked. <laughs> Which podcast am I on? I don't remember. I lose track. I do too many podcasts. Uh, but this week's unlock block trivia. The question comes from Philip Rutherford, who asks: In two thousand six, the Xbox three hundred and sixty Vision camera was available as an accessory. Which game also released that year? allowed you to take photos of yourself and then use them to make your multiplayer character look like you? Was it Rainbow Six Vegas, Fear, Call of Duty 3, or Tiger Woods PGA Tour 07? Let me uh, pull up the scores here as the three of you think about this for a minute. I know the score. Yeah, we. that's right. Destin got it last week to tighten things up, I think. Oh. Where have we at? Uh we have Miranda 6, Stella 5, Destin 3. So, it's a it's a reasonably close race. <laughs> Let me go Destin's way first then since he uh, is currently oh,
1: trailing in the Cuz I know the answer. All right, well I'll go to Stella's. Yeah. I'll okay, go well, Stella's way. You
4: could have just not said that and then <laughs> guessed. <laughs>
1: I got my answer locked in. I I can send it to you, Ryan. <laughs> that's mm. all right. Just hang on to it.
4: I don't I feel like D makes the most sense, but maybe that's like a Red herring. I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to go with. Me.
2: OK, Tiger Woods. It definitely I, had a potent character creator. I will tell you that I played that game. Um, <laughs> so it's you know, there's there's just cause for you choosing that one. Miranda,
3: I'm between two, but I'm also going to guess D Tiger Woods PGA Tour 07.
2: All right. Riding uh, or dying with
1: Stella on this one. So, Destin, what have you got? I'm 90% sure it's A Rainbow 6 Vegas. The only way I'd be guess. wrong is if it was Rainbow 6 Vegas 2, not one. Mm. So you are going with Rainbow 6 Vegas? Yes. That's a good move cuz you are absolutely correct. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh some so of the photos of how bad this was were pretty good. <laughs> were pretty funny. This is a big story when it happened.
2: <laughs> not to mention the uh the South Park episode that hit around there with Assface Kenny, yeah, and you can kind of picture <laughs> what people uh, what people did with that. Oh my so, god! So, <laughs> yeah, have you seen our thun? That was uh, <laughs> that, might, that might bring back some memories for you, South Park fans. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, Rainbow Six Vegas was the correct answer. Oh. You could scan your face and apply it to your multiplayer sounds Eric
4: horrific here. no Vegas was also
1: a very good
2: game. it sure was that was yeah, an excellent excellent cover shooter I could jump off shooter
1: you could jump off side of buildings and turn upside down and like shoot upside oh, down yeah. <laughs> with the, with, Oh yeah, okay. but, like yeah. nobody had done that it was really cool
2: yeah it was great it was those were good times and then and then after Vegas 2 Ubisoft forgot that Rainbow Six Vegas was all <laughs> that Rainbow Six was awesome and then they didn't make another one for like 15 years we finally finally got Siege yes in 2015 thank you Philip Rutherford for that excellent xbox trivia question and if anybody else out there has an excellent xbox trivia question of their own feel free to send it in you can address it to me at unlocked at ign.com include the question include four multiple choice answers and then please note the correct answer in your email don't forget your name and if you'd like your gamer tag as well that will bring us to the end of Podcast Unlocked 550. Stella, you got anything you want to promote?
4: Uh, yeah, I guess for work I'm going to be doing a feature for the uh, Outriders World Slayers, so keep an eye on that for this week. So that's going to be fun. But yeah, if for anything else, for like personal stuff, I mean, I'm at Parallax Stella everywhere. I do stream on Twitch every day after work. So yeah, I'll probably play be playing the Overwatch 2 beta. So yeah.
2: Nice. Destin?
1: It has been a very exciting few weeks of uh, finalizing budgets and training new hires. You (laughs) you can keep an eye out for all that to hit IGN very soon. (laughs) If you want to hear me ramble, you can do that at youtube.com slash the Destin channel and order some cookies Legarybakery.com. I'm back. We're making cookies for people, and I think people really like them, so Stella can attest to that. Still, his boyfriend can because yeah, we just Joel. heard Before the show, yeah, the calling chain, you out on, on unlocked.
4: Thank you for eating all the cookies. <laughs> Anyways,
2: <laughs> well, I I can second that. They're, the the vegan cookies are excellent. Thank you, Destin. Those were definitely well worth the price of admission. And uh, Miranda,
3: well. Now that I want a cookie, especially for all the <laughs> other management hard work that I've also been doing with budgets, uh, that's kind of been a lot of just a lot of behind the scenes stuff right now. Uh, but I will, I'm sorry, have that actual Redfall interview up this week. It is very long. Oh. It's over 5,000 words right now. And I'm trying to cut it oh down because it's just mostly going to be a Q&A just because he goes really in depth with his answers. And I'm trying to make it as readable as possible. So it's just take a little bit of time, but it should actually be up this week.
2: Excellent. Uh, as for me, I'm on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. My public service announcements are don't feed your dog grain-free dog food because they could get a wicked heart disease and I don't wish that on anyone's dog and wear sunscreens so that you don't have to get your head cut open and get skin cancer taken out. So that's all I got. You can follow me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. I want to thank Miranda, Stella, and Destin as well as our super producer, Alan, this week. Be well, everybody. This was Unlocked 550, and we'll see you back here next week.
5: What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I use my background in journalism and draw on women's life experiences to add to the conversation on topics that matter to fellow feminists like you. Now in its second season, listen to new episodes each month as we explore finding yourself through divorce, battling call-out culture, questioning our ideas about masculinity, and discovering why girls' confidence plummets in their preteens. Guests include Stephanie Kuntz, historian and author of Marriage, a History, April White, author of Divorce Colony, and Loretta Ross, professor on white supremacy and call-out culture at Smith College. Listen to Thread the Needle on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.